When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yes, yes, yes. And welcome back to the Fresh Arsenal podcast. It's a big yes, yes, yes today. And those of you who had enough of me talking last week will be delighted to know that myself, PB, is joined once again by Pat. Pat, how are you feeling? You're in the ground at the weekend. Must have been must have been a fantastic place to be. Very jealous. It was amazing. Uh, I was actually sat right at the back of the North Bank. Um, I didn't realise I was going to be sitting that high until I literally got into the stadium. And... Yeah, it was actually quite good. Got to stand up the entire game, which is which is nice. Often you can do that, North Bank and Clock End, especially if you're like either really low or really high. And uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. It was a great day out and really, really glad that we got the win. I mean, it felt, I was quite nervous for it, but I was quite confident. And then as soon as we started playing, felt more confident. Half time, I must say, going into the second half, I was like, oh, I'm really nervous. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, let's uh, well let's, let's start the team news first. How did you? Because those of you who listened last week will know that is the team. I think I said I would have gone for in that I wouldn't have been scared by what Tottenham had, and I did say because I think there's an acceptance that Tommy Asu and Tierney are probably the better one-on-one defenders. So a lot of people would have stuck them in at fullback, considering the threat Tottenham had on the breakout wide. I said I wanted to see us play our game and take the game to them, so I would have stuck with with White and, and Zinchenko. Um, obviously, it was great to see Tom, uh, Thomas Partey back fit, and there was a couple of other question marks on on some players. So probably what I would say is Arteta's favourite and fully strength squad. But did you were you surprised at the fullback choice at kickoff? I was surprised by the Tierney one. I mean. I have always felt that Arteta has been fair with players that have gotten runs in the side, mm. almost to the detriment of the team to some extent. Like last season, Lacazette came in, started doing really well from January, but then he should have probably taken him out of the, the team maybe two or three games before. And, uh, you, you know, when Nuno Tavares came in for Tierney last season, he get, he got the run in until... He basically thought that Tierney was fit enough, but also Nuno stopped being as good as he was. So, yeah, I, I thought he's always been quite fair, fair in that regard. Like, you know, we've seen it with Ben White and Tomiyasu. Like, until Ben White puts a fit wrong, I don't think he's going to leave that starting eleven. And I thought it would be the same with Tierney, to be honest with you. I thought mm. the perfect game to kind of give 
Zinchenko back from injury 45 to 60 minutes would have been on Thursday but clearly maybe we've had some some kind of good fortune with our good relationships with the Ukrainian FA to be honest with you because he must not have been that injured um, if he was able to uh, to to kind of play 70 minutes again yeah. in the North London derby right? I think in general what you said there is correct I think it's slightly different because of the international break it's a bit less of a continuity feel when there's been a a couple of weeks off and the fact that you know as you say Zinchenko didn't play for his country so it had two weeks to rest and recuperate whereas Tierney did play I think two of the three games and came off with a bit of a knock to the head so I think um, I think Arteta's preference clearly is Zinchenko he wants to take that front foot approach no matter the opposition it seems and the fact that you have Tierney off the bench and I think this year we've got got those Europa League games so it's not like we're it's not like Tierney is maybe thinking when am I going to start a game again you know he'll be starting Thursday so there is that comfort Um, but yeah that was maybe the only one that was slightly surprising but very strong team out Arsenal started the game incredibly well which was the the main thing we wanted to see it's what I talked about last week we've got to take the game to them have them park in there in their box and they did just that pet but it seemed that the the coaching staff and the manager and the players were prepared for that and uh sort of set the team up to be able to take some shots from from just outside the box in that opening 20 minutes or so and were rewarded with Partey's fantastic strike I mean how did that look from your position in the stadium because it curled a lot into the yeah. top corner yeah I was sat obviously right behind it and it obviously when you're sitting that far away from the action in terms of that was at the clock clock end was at the north bank it 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 seemed a lot closer that like it felt like he was kind of at the edge of the area only when seeing the replays you see he's about kind of five yards off the edge it's a really good strike i i did instantly think it was a keeper mistake i was like oh wow like it didn't even look like it was going that quickly and it's gone your near post I think I've got a bit more sympathy since I've seen it again for Lloris, who, who I really don't rate, by the way. I think he's, I, th- I don't know why Spurs have not looked to get beyond him for the last like couple of seasons. I think he, he stops the way they build up as well. You could see that in the, you know, whenever the ball's at his feet, doesn't doesn't look comfortable at all. And I think it'll probably be his last tournament for France as well, this World Cup, because Mike Magnon looks pretty good. Mm. Um it was a really good strike. I think really good patient build up. I think up until that point, we'd, I wouldn't say we'd been frustrated, but we were just kind of like prodding. And it did really feel like a Man City Spurs game. <laughs> mm. But yeah, that, that kind of broke the seal. And actually the 10 minutes after that, up until the penalty, which I'm sure we'll talk about, I felt we could have really, really stepped on, on the gas. But um, they, they did a few things to, to kind of get back into the game and, um, mm. Yeah, that, that goal was really good. I think it comes from basically, and, and I said this before the game, that without Ben Davis, that kind of Lenglet, Perisic left side and the Romero, Emerson right side were really going to be worked hard by our wingers. And it was basically Martinelli against those two on his own because Zinchenko doesn't overlap. Sometimes Xhaka goes into that fifth lane and and Jesus gets into the the third or fourth. But really, it was just him on his own. But with Saka, he did have that kind of Ben White overlap. He had Odegaard underlapping. But really, like he was was basically two or three V1 
a lot of the game. And I think teams are kind of like, well, you can't stop him on his own. I think you saw West Ham come to the Emirates last season where they had basically Rice sat in front of Cresswell trying to like trying to trying to stop him. And what that means is even if he's not individually effective, which he was with this game, getting kind of a fantasy assist with the second goal, he makes so much space for everyone else. And I just wanted to point that out that, you know, Saka being double, triple team made it so we could we could go play in other areas of the pitch, which was great. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it was a fantastic, as you say, first, I'm looking on the stats uh, app here, I think up to Tottenham's goal, which was in the 30th minute, Arsenal were really, really strong. So just taking that section of the game, we had six shots to their one, three of those on target, 153 passes to their 70, 68 in the attacking third to their nine. Um. And yeah, pretty much everything else pretty dominant. So we had pretty good control of the game and it wasn't a case of it dropped off as soon as we scored because even if I take that sort of five minutes after the goal, like you mentioned, we we didn't get a lot of shots away, but we did still have control of the ball. It all changes then when uh, Tottenham get some joy from a counter-attack. Few mistakes in there. Not sure if you've seen it back, Pep, but Xhaka, who had an excellent game, we'll get to him later, has a bit of a scuffed clearance. Um, I, I don't know if it's been looked at, but in the in the attack that leads to it, and they'll probably say it's too far back, I'm fairly convinced there was an offside about 40 seconds before this happens. Is it the Richarlison when he's running in on goal? Yeah, because he... Yeah, maybe. I, I, I actually don't think he's offside there. Yeah. The one that's definitely offside is there's a free kick. Yes. Uh, there's a free double kick. offside. D- a double offside. The free kick is like marginally offside, and then he like kicks it in front to Richarlison, who's offside. I think it's Dyer who kicks it. In and front. what annoys me is match of the day sort of showed that as a big chance for Tottenham in the in the <laughs> highlights, and it's on all the highlight packages uh, if you see Sky Sports and BT Sports highlights, and it's like they don't even talk about it being offside when it's very clearly would have been given. Um, which is annoying. Bit of a clock moment for me there, moaning it. I'm not putting the flag up. But yeah, back to the goal. It was it was just a bit messy, wasn't it? And the build up to that penalty. Um, you know, Ramsdale gets a bit of a claw to it, then falls down to Xhaka, who sort of scuffs his clearance. Then Gabriel, who for how good he is, has these moments in him. Yeah, we all know. And it. yeah, when you watch it back. He really doesn't need to make the challenge. I mean, Saliba is blocking the route to goal fairly well, um, even if Gabriel's not there. Um, but he dives in, which you should never really do in your box in, unless you're in a catastrophic scenario. Um, and he, he very clearly clips for Charles, and it's definitely a penalty. I mean, what's your take on Gabriel? Because, I mean, Saliba's probably made, you know, he's, he's scored the own goal. Um, and wasn't great at Old Trafford. He's had a couple of moments himself. Gabriel's now had uh, the time where he was tackled by Mitrovic and and this one. So as good as our young defenders have been on the ball um, and in general play, there are showing some signs, I guess, of of youthfulness and and perhaps over-emotional from Gabriel particularly. We have to remember he's still quite young, right? Yeah. 
I think people forget that because he's he and White are like the senior. Well, Zinchenko now in that back line, and, and Tierney when he plays are the senior players in terms of age. But Gabriel is still twenty four, right? So uh, we bought him when he was twenty one, going on twenty two. He's he's twenty four, going twenty five now. I think that's right. I think he's still very raw and you see the difference between him and Saliba in terms of the kind of composure on the ball, how close the ball is to his body, how good the first touch is, all that kind of stuff. I do think that, and you see this with other teams in Europe, right? I know that um, Napoli have bought um, uh, the guy over from Fenerbahce to replace Koulibaly. But when Koulibaly was there, they basically asked him to cover that entire left side because Mario Rui, whoever the left back was, would just go and play this kind of free left back role and go inverted, join the attack, play in the final third a lot. And when Sinchenko plays, we we ask Gabriel to basically do that again. Um, he, he has to cover basically that entire part of the pitch because Sinchenko is asked to go in inside and help with the build up, help with the midfield, which I think helps us a lot gives more space to party because people are like, well, we've got a Mark Zinchenko on the inside. I do have that bit of sympathy. For someone who's been like very critical of those harsh mistakes and those kind of bozo-like incidents, I do think we ask a lot for of him. And I do think that being in between Gabriel and Ben White is a lot easier than being in between Zinchenko and Saliba, if that makes sense. Mm. And I do also think on that left-hand side, like on the right-hand side, you have like... Saka, who's very good at tracking back when he needs to, like that side feels very, very secure and and solid defensively. Um, the left side, I agree with we, that. We, we ask a lot of him, yeah, basically. and I think he does really well in that in that asking of a lot in general play. My only issue is these two mistakes have not come from that structural issue, have they? They've been moments of, you know, the Mitrovic one, lack of composure on the ball. You know, we talked about Saka didn't put him in the best situation for that, but this one is just really rash. And I think last time you made the mistake, you said, you know, we can deal with it because he'll only do it every 10 or 15 games. If he only does it every 10 or 15 games, we can. Um, it's just one to keep an eye on because I think he's, you know, that's two in eight Premier League games ultimately. And we can't probably afford for him to do it every four games, um, which I hope he will learn from and and you know it's not something we see with as regularity as we have because we're setting new standards now and even though he's young as you say he's he's one of the older ones in that back four um I'm not suggesting we make a change at all right now but I think we'd be foolish to think that Arteta's not um thinking about it especially because we haven't got another left-sided centre-back and we were linked to People liked up sober. I think he's predominantly right-footed, but had been playing um, left centre back for Leverkusen and Schlotter some other. Back is the main main one, right? We were very, apparently very very close in January, but he was already wrapped up. Um, yeah, by and he's a high-level player, and we were looking at that in the summer, thinking is Gabriel going, or you know, does Arteta just want really strong competition for him? But I think Arsenal will be looking at that area, maybe not in January, but in the summer to at least provide competition because at the moment what I would like to see is probably Tommy Asu when Cedric is back Tommy Asu play left centre back in in the Europa League a bit just so we can see because he's probably got the next strongest left foot um, plays left centre back for his country as well quite a lot so 
Um, that's our best alternative at the moment. Um, so we're going to need Gabriel to, to iron out those mistakes. But I mean, crucially, what happened is we didn't let the mistake cost us because then I think it would be much more talked about and people would be much more worried about it um, as things have happened before. But in the Fulham game and this game, we've been able to let it go. And and the Wolves game last season at home as well, when he um, had his mistake, we managed to win the game as well. So he's he's maybe got fortunate that we've won the games that he's had these big moments in. But that's also a credit to the team for you know, being good enough to not lose games because of little moments and, and do enough. But let's... Um... I, just one thing as well on him is mm. I don't think you can under-index how important five Premier League goals a season is for yeah. centre-back. Yeah, we like that, that is almost like if you're going to... If you want to score 70, 80 goals in a season, which would be a really good return for Arsenal, that's that's like 7 to 8% of them. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. That's, that's pretty important. Yeah, no, let me be clear. I mean, I, I really like him and I, I want him to, to iron these mistakes out. I just think as we get to to new levels and, you know, want to set this sort of high bar, we can't have that every four games. So let's let's hope he can um, take that out of his game a little bit more. Just on the penalty, I mean, I knew Kane was going down the middle because when you look at Ramsdale, there's no way Ramsdale's staying down the middle, is there? And he's he's not big enough framed to stick his foot out and stop the ball down the middle. So I don't blame um, any penalty taker for just rolling it down the middle of the net. Do, do any goalkeepers stay down the middle, though? Like, very few do, don't they? I know... Yeah, but what I'd say is some are big enough to spread their legs out and sometimes catch it with their feet. You know, you've seen a few people save it yeah. that way, whereas Ramsdale, he, he's not very big is he what six two maybe six one six two um which for a keeper obviously isn't as big a lot of them six five so yeah i mean kane knows him as well so that was a yeah. foregone conclusion it, really you always felt that was going to be a you always felt that was going to be a goal he never misses penalties against arsenal he loves he loves being booed he loves being the villain and he was never going to miss so mm. I'd already resigned myself to that to, to that being a goal as soon as and and you could see I was like right above it I could see it was a penalty straight away and it was kind of like that sinking feeling and then I guess Spurs basically t- took that momentum and carried it through for the next I'd say fifteen minutes because I think the last five minutes of the game at the first half Arsenal were better but were you well, worried this was during th- that period Yeah, this was the thirtieth minute. So um... yeah, sorry, next ten so minutes. Yeah, I mean, watching it live, I was worried. And I think the team got a little bit rattled because it was like, you know, they'd seen Tottenham have none of the game and managed to get a goal out of it. And suddenly that puts doubts in your minds and that, uh, as players and as fans. Looking back at the statistics for that 15-minute period, I mean, they only had one shot and I think that will be the one it was offside. Was that after yeah. the goal or before the goal? That was before the goal. Oh, okay. That was before the goal. So that won't count. So they had one shot to our three. Um, they had similar amount of completed passes, but in attacking third, we were 31 to 10 for that period. So they didn't, and I know that's not what they ever aim for. Um, and I know there were moments we all felt nervy, but you're very rarely going to have 90 minutes. Even Man City in games against Spurs aren't going to have 90 minutes of complete pressure. I mean, 
even when Man City beat United 6-3 yesterday, they conceded three goals and United had moments where they were a little bit threatening. Um, so I think they were always going to have this. It was crucial that we didn't concede again before half time, and even more crucial that we started that second half the way we'd started the first. Um, I don't know how did it feel in the ground at half time once Tottenham had had that goal and then a little bit of pressure back on us. Um, I mean, like most of the concessions at the Emirates this season, there's been quite a lot of kind of a come on boys, like get back out there. I did look at the players and they did look quite gutted. They looked like a bit like, oh, we've played really well for 30 minutes and it's 1-1. Mm. So I was a bit like, ah, oh, like, are they going to, is this mentally going to be really taxing for them? And the next 10 minutes, Spurs did look quite dangerous. Uh, well, actually, maybe they didn't look dangerous. I think they just had a bit more of the ball. Mm. Um, and in the ground, it did feel a bit more nervy. But the last five minutes of that first half, they did feel like they got a bit more of the momentum back. Um, I haven't watched the first half back. I've only watched the second half back. But um, it felt like the first half, a lot happened. Like a lot of, there was a lot of football played. In the second half, apart from the big moments, the, the second half was actually quite disjointed. What with the the goals, the red card, the like seven, eight substitutes, there wasn't as much happening basically after the 60th minute. Whereas I felt in the first half, there was kind of a mini game in every 10 minute period. But yeah, the last five minutes of that second, first half, we kind of regained control. And I guess it, it kind of carried and spilled over into the, to the second half, didn't it, Ollie? Yeah, I think the second half fell into place quite nicely. And um, saying to you off air, I watched the first half and then I play myself on Saturday. So was off to my own game, um, listening on the radio, following on my phone once once at my game. And it was the perfect sort of uh, rally of events to happen when you're not watching, to, to ease your nerves a bit. Because, you know, heading off to the game, when we went 1-0 up, I thought, oh, we might go 2 or 3-0 up before, yeah. I, before I leave and I can relax a bit. When I he- head off at 1-0 and Tottenham have come back into the game, I, I was definitely... Um, very nervous man because I hate not being able to see it and listening to other commentary or just mm. watching things on my phone. So, um, yeah, Jesus's goal fairly quickly um, was brilliant. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. The red card follows um, fairly soon after, doesn't it? And then like another five minutes later, we score a third. So within, within that first 15, 20 minutes of the second half, you feel the game is, is wrapped up and I think I watched the second half back last night just so I could have uh, sort of seen all the details. Tottenham then made four or five subs and I think they left Kane on just so he couldn't be shamefully <laughs> abused coming off the pitch but uh, they took Son, Richarlison um, and some of their other key players off didn't they? So it was a, a throwing in of the towel which is beautiful to see really as much as it, it meant they got a little bit of rest and it did mean we could then rest because I think after that third goal, you know, you could say we, we could have gone and scored more against 10 men, but I think we really just rested our legs yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, I think if you ask Arteta, would you rather win that game 3-1 or win it 5-1 and you get to take Zinchenko, Party, Odegaard mm. and Jesus off? 
and basically play the rest of the 25 minutes pedestrian pace so that you can essentially rest the rest of your players as well. I think he's always going to go for the for the latter. Because that was a big watch yeah. point, wasn't it, on Thomas Partey because he was he did withdraw from the Ghana squad. You know, it wasn't a case of Arsenal negotiating him not going because he did go and he came back, which was definitely a worry. So to see him in the starting lineup, you were like mm, flashbacks to him being pushed back on by Arteta um, against Spurs at White Hart Lane a couple of seasons back when he was injured. So I really hoped from Partey we saw a, a, a good game because if he's not fully fit, sometimes he's not played that great. And also thought we don't want to have to need him for 90 minutes playing at really high intensity here. So it was perfect for scenarios like that. And as you say, Zinchenko coming back from an injury. As you said, a bit of a knock. Erdegaard coming back from an injury. They could all come off, um, which was brilliant because, you know, most of those won't play a minute on Thursday, I'm sure, but we've got Liverpool next week. So, yeah, it was kind of like uh, one of those games where um, if you both draw, you get what you want from the season and both teams were kind of just seeing out the remaining 20 minutes or so, which um, was nice for us, for sure. So let's go back to that goal just as the second half started. Saka doing what Saka does, uh, brilliant, brilliant cutting inside and low shot, which I think Lloris definitely doesn't cover himself in glory, but I think Saka's shot is so low and hard that it's very difficult for Lloris to react and push. People are saying sort of, you've got to push it wide. I mean, Saka's shot is really, really hard. when you it goes through back. a lot of, it goes through a lot of players. A lot well, of legs. It? Yeah. I think you just got to hope your keeper stops that shot, to be honest. Um, telling him he needs to push it out wide is, is a bit of a luxury. What happens then is Romero sort of, I don't think he tries to pass it back. Or he sort I of knocks what it he's back. trying to do actually. Yeah. And Jesus, this is where you just see the the reward for being a nuisance. Um, you know, he's he does enough to put Romero under pressure and get the right side of him without fouling him. Because that was the first thing I thought when well, when I watched the goal back, that is there a foul there that they're all going to yeah. appeal for? Um, uh, but it goes back to Lloris, and that's where he sort of makes his mistake. But again, Romero has made it quite difficult for him because I don't know if he's thinking, oh, is this going to be given as a pass back kind of thing? Um, if he's tried to pass it back, but it, it creeps under him anyway. And has he's just... It's just really bad all around, to be fair, from them. Yeah. Um, I, I thought Romero was was pretty torrid on the day. I, th- I think he's been heavily overrated by Spurs fans, but also, weirdly, Premier League fans who uh, have seen him make loads of mistakes, have only ever seen him in the back three, and, you know, on another day, it was like him and Dyer could have given away a penalty as well on Jesus that wasn't even looked at, which was... Mm. But I, I thought the officiating... Yeah, even watch it, watching that back on BT Spot, they didn't show a replay ever. It's mental, yeah. Like, uh, there was a few... Uh, no VAR check on the um, on the offside that led up to the penalty. No VAR check... or No, no, no replay for the kind of free kick chance that was offside by, like two yards mm-hmm. there was no replay of that penalty shot where he he does clip it like it's probably a penalty um and i know they're trying to make that bar higher but like you know eric dyer turns his back leaves his foot in like 
as a defender, you kind of have to be punished for that. I just, I know we've talked about the kind of uh, refs hate Arsenal and kind of like the narrative, but the fact that like the North London derby last season was put to basically one of the last three games of the season for TV reasons. And the fact that, you know, Son gets that penalty, Holding gets that red card. I do, I, I, part of me is just like, oh, like why are they trying to tr- trying to make this something it wasn't? This was just like a clear bulldozing by Arsenal that, that could have been even worse. But um, we, we won't talk too much about that. In terms of, quickly, the, the red card before the, the, uh, the third goal, it was really far away from me. But when I did go on Twitter, like as soon as I got some connection in the ground, everyone was kind of like, yeah, that's nasty. That's nasty type of thing. Mm. And watching it back in real time, it looks terrible to be honest with you, just because he's so, he's like nowhere near the ball. And I, and I get like tactical fouls, but if you're going to tactical foul someone, you can't do it with your studs. That's really weird. And I think it definitely is one of those that I think if he gives the yellow, VAR doesn't overturn it. And again, if he gives the reds, I don't think VAR can overturn it because what are they going to say to him? Like, go on, Anthony, go to the screen because all he's done is, you know, raked his studs down as Achilles. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah. And I think he's so far away from the ball. You know, if, if the ball's right on his foot and he catches his foot there, I think people, he would get a yellow because he's he's fairly close to the ball and not too high um, as much as it's a bad challenge still. But I think the fact that the ball was some distance away from it just makes it look very intentional and like he's trying to hurt him. Um, Who was it that Aubameyang got sent off against that time? Yeah, Palace. Palace, yeah. I yeah. think... It was kind I, I, of similar to that. Yeah, I watched that back though. The ball was definitely closer on Aubameyang. So I think this is this is worse. Maybe Aubameyang went in with a bit more force, so there was a bit more from the crowd um, that day. But just to... Um, just to show you that the agenda against Granit Xhaka is still very much real. I had the unfortunate pleasure of listening to this moment on TalkSport. Um, and this is this is how it went, because obviously this is why I don't like listening to the games, because you can't make your own opinion. You're dependent on what the, the pundits are, are telling you. And they were just having a conversation, essentially, you know, like they sometimes do when the ball's in the middle of the pitch. And then they said, um, oh, Amazon Riles tripped Martinelli. And then I think Xhaka reacts really badly because he's right next to it. And they start going on a, on a rant about Xhaka. Why is he reacting like that? He doesn't need to. He should get himself in trouble for this. He's, why is he going so mad? It's just a trip. It's just a free kick. And then they go, oh, it's a red card. And then I'm like, to who? Because my first fear is you've just said Jack has made a massive overreaction to a trip. Has they sent off Granit Xhaka for, for swearing at the referee or something? I don't know. Um, and then they don't tell you who's been sent off for about 10 seconds. I'm like, what is going on? I'm trying to hear like how much the crowd is reacting in what way to, to tell me. And then they eventually say, 
Emerson's been sent off. And then they say, oh, we've watched it back. Yeah, it's it's a very bad challenge. <laughs> but they went on about Xhaka for a good 20 seconds and how he'd complained about this. I'm so shocked. And it was sport. ridiculous. Um, yeah, terrible. Terrible from TalkSport. I can't remember the commentators to, to call them out. But um, yeah, that is exactly why you don't want to be listening to the to the game on the radio at any point. But they can't have complaints, as you say. It, it's a red card. He's so far away from the ball. Um, I would have preferred it to be a different Tottenham player getting sent off. I thought, especially when I watched it back in that second half, I thought Richarlison might fly in and get I a red thought, card I thought as well. it was Richarlison in the ground, and I was like, oh, that's nice. Mm. <laughs> I mean, he was getting wound up big time by Martinelli. and He was also on... absolutely terrible all yeah. game. He was yeah. so, so... I, You know, I, I've talked about how I quite like him. And he would have been a great signing for Arsenal, but he was truly horrible in that game. I think Martinelli took a bit of joy in sort of toying with him on a few occasions. If you if you see it back, he see Richarlison was almost playing as a as a right back defending Martinelli at times, and Martinelli was having a lot of joy. So yeah, they don't seem to be great friends. They're probably competing for a a place on the playing to Qatar in December and if the Brazil manager watches games like that then it should be helping Martinelli but we'll see on that front for the rest of the game then Pat I mean any other noteworthy things in the stadium that maybe we we missed we said they sort of played out 20 minutes any any players that particularly impressed you coming off the bench um not necessarily. I thought, you know, just to, just to mention on Granit Xhaka's goal, I think does that mean he's only not scored against Man City now? Because he's got he's got a couple against Chelsea. He's got a couple against he's got one against United, the one last season. He's now got one against Spurs. He scored against Liverpool, that one that went through um, Carrius's hands that time. A man for the big occasion, even though he doesn't score many goals, which is which is pretty useful. Um, so just a note on him: fantastic again, him and Party. I th- have we only lost one Premier League game when they start together? Is that the stat? I think it's mm. pretty ridiculous, but. Um, no, I thought I thought Tini looked pretty good when he's come on. I think he's definitely adapting to this like don't just hoof it long type role, and yes, he looked pretty good. There was a moment where the ball comes in field to him. He's kind of in the centre of the park in that kind of party position. He plays a right foot pass out. To you know ben what? That, that was exactly what I was going to say. That it was that moment when I watched that second half back um, yesterday that I thought that's him adapting because yeah. he, there's no way he plays that last season that pass across the middle with his right foot he would go out on his left and hook it down the line or sprint a little bit himself and then come inside but yeah he definitely is adapting which yeah, is good and, to see and I think it must be a lot about Arteta basically saying to him look like this is how I want you to play I know it's not how you want to play but it's for the better of the team but also if you do make a mistake it's not the end of the world like I want you to learn and he played another ball that was really good in field, like with his left foot. Um, he's been playing a lot more of those recently. So hopefully he can continue adapting because I think it will be a really good battle between him and um, Zinchenko for that left back spot. And I think Tierney know. I think it's easier for Tierney because he kind of knows exactly what he needs to work on, right? He needs to work on being better on the ball. And... Yeah, he, he looked pretty good when he came on. I think Lukonga looked pretty tidy. I wouldn't say anything like specifically amazing, but 
you know, look forward to him getting some minutes on Thursday. Uh, I, I thought um, watching it back, Vieira made a lot of quite good runs, like off the ball. Wasn't found because obviously there was no kind of need to kind of risk. But I, I, I really, again, like me and you have talked about this a lot because we've, we've watched a fair bit of him last season for Porto. I think people are still really sleeping on him and he's going to he's gonna be a really big part of this season. Um, but no, like very non-football last 20 minutes, wasn't it? It was basically like attack versus defence. Both teams wanted the game to be ended. Conte didn't want any more. It, it reminded me of when we beat Chelsea 3-0. Uh, when when Conte won the league with Chelsea, when we went three 0 up, he went five at the back, and they uh, they kind of it was just kind of giving up, and felt kind of similar to that. He knows when he's beat, and I also think that they had had a lot of players that had gone all, all around the world to play ninety minutes for their countries. So I'm, I'm sure he was kind of like, well, let's just take him off now. But yeah, good good win, very happy, and we'll take those all day long. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Xhaka's season's been brilliant. I feel quite close to his uh, his revolution this season because I myself am playing left eight for my team and uh, didn't score last season, scored two goals this year. So we're both finding our attacking touch further up the pitch, um, which is nice to see. At a similar age as well, I must say. So <laughs> we're redefining the developmental curve. Um, so thanks, Granit Xhaka, for giving strength to actually how old is he 29 30 now I think he's just turned 30 okay he's a little bit older than me he's Um, just turned 30 so let's see where I am when I'm 30 then (laughs) that's even better news um yeah but no that's brilliant brilliant game I think who who would you give your man of the match to Pat I think there's a few contenders (sighs) I think it's, for me, it's pretty clearly between Thomas Partey and Saliba. I think that they were the two standouts on the pitch for me. And I'd probably edge it to Partey. Um, I just, he was just so good in that central midfield area. Mm. It, it honestly looked at times like, there was a moment where Hoiberg dives in and he kind of chips it over him. And he just kind of runs away. Bentoncourt fronts him up and he just plays that nice slide through fast. I just, it just looked like he was playing against under 16s at times. Like it was, it really was men against boys in that midfield, which is where I think Spurs definitely lost the game. But at the same time, I was kind of like, you know what, if this guy gets injured again, it's, it's just going to be not good in terms of how much of a downgrade it is. And again, it's not no slight on, no slight on Laconga or anyone else who could play that six, but I really think it's basically him and Rodri in that position in the world that are that good, that can dictate a midfield on their own, that can cut out counter-attacks on their own. It's such a unique and tough position to play. Mm. And to do it at the level that he did and get a goal, I think you, you've got to edge it. But Saliba very close and he thought he was he was just ridiculous. That nutmeg as well was mm-hmm. uh, right right under me and I was just like screaming because it was so good. <laughs> it was so good to watch. Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with both of those. I think it was big for Saliba to have that, um, play yes. with that arrogance and confidence and have that game because he did have a slight wobble against United amongst other players. Um, so... He would have wanted a big game, you know, against one of the other big sort of top six, top eight teams to to go that well, and it it was a brilliant day for him. I think 
I think pretty much everyone's played pretty well. I think um, Ben White is worth a shout as well at right back because he's making himself quite hard to to displace because I think most of us would have been very ready for Tommy Asu to come back in if you think how reliant we were on him last season and how upset we were every time there was a setback um, because White was having to obviously play in the middle. We didn't have Saliba. And the alternative was Cedric Chambers or or Maitland-Niles for so long. And now we've got White sort of making himself undroppable, playing really, really well. Um, it's just brilliant to see some options. And yeah, it's competition for places and we're going to see it on Thursday. I mean, I think it works out that one of our centre midfielders has got to play on Thursday because we've got we're so short in that position. Who would you how would you sort of line up for that game, Pat? Would you would you keep Xhaka or Erdegaard in? I'd I'd probably be keeping Xhaka, to be honest with you. I know we're asking a lot of him, but um he just seems like he could play all day, right? So mm. I think it is gonna be him. Yeah, I mean I tweeted I would I would try and play Erdegaard and Vieira um in front of Laconga just because I think say Xhaka did get an injury and I know he's he's really durable. But if Erdegaard goes, you've got Vieira, who I think there is a drop-off, even though Erdegaard's not been brilliant um, in this game or or in some other games recently. But if Xhaka goes, I mean, suddenly, what do you do? You're starting Lukonga there, and then what do you do with Partey on 70 minutes? Or if Partey gets injured, I think you've suddenly got a big issue. So, yeah, unfortunately, we've got to risk one of them. And I think maybe... Let Erdegaard and Vieira build up some confidence and, and play together, especially in this home game. And then maybe you play Xhaka in the away game next week. There's going to have to be a bit of that sort of sharing minutes, I think, between the Europa League group stage. But I'm sure they've already got a, a plan worked out on how they're going to do that. So we'll leave it to the professionals with all the data on people in the red zone, etc. Just a touch on the, the game on Sunday then, which... I mean, is particularly significant again because this is probably a game. I mean, at home, I fancy us to to try and beat anyone anyway. But it would be one of the games where traditionally, if we lose but play quite well, we'd just move on from it because it's Liverpool. But Liverpool this season have only won two from their seven Premier League games. Yeah, I mean, equally they've only lost one, but they've drawn four. And they look really weak defensively at the weekend they conceded three um they've actually scored 18 did they beat someone they, they beat, beat Bournemouth 9-0 uh, didn't, didn't they yeah so yeah. half their goals have come in one game so if you take that out they've scored nine conceded quite confident nine. they're not going to score nine goals against us at least no no what I will say about this game how many other teams do you think have better matchups for Arsenal in terms of attackers versus defenders than this game. I just feel that, and I was saying this to a mate earlier this morning, I was like, Martinelli against Trent, I wouldn't actually be shocked if he tries to play Joe Gomez there. And Henderson's looked very ropey in midfield. The midfield's basically been non-existent. Fabinho's been really bad this season and, and, and bits of last season as well. And actually, the left side as well, they've got Robertson out, who actually had a really good game against Saka last season at the Emirates and was really good going forward as well, pushed Saka back, put lots of pressure on, on Cedric, especially on that second half where where he, uh, he he assisted the second goal to Firmino as well. 
you know, Saka against Simicast or James Milner, that's that's not going to be very nice for them. And then last season, Van Dijk and Matip, uh, or Canate, I think they had half each, Canate and Matip, were able to just basically step on the halfway line with um, Lacazette there. They won't be able to do that against Jesus. No. And then on the other end of the pitch, they're probably going to start Firmino, aren't they? Which means we can get really high up the pitch because Saliba and Gabriel can basically just step onto him. So I feel like... The only worry I've got is actually, I think we might be going into this game as favourites, which I don't think is good for the kind of like, I think we've liked the big home games where we're either on par, I don't know, the Spurs game or underdogs like the City game where there's less expectancy and we can go out and play. I, I do think this is a big opportunity for us though. There's no guaranteeing that we'll ever play a Liverpool team in a rut like this again this season or maybe in in seasons to come so I'm actually Mm. really confident for it to be honest with you yeah I think this is our first big test I mean people said that about the Spurs game but I mean we beat Spurs quite comfortably last year I know they didn't have Conte Um, but at home against anyone apart from Liverpool and Man City I back us I think our big tests are against the top half away from home and Man City and Liverpool home or away so despite Liverpool not playing great I think this is a test for us just because historically we've not been very good against them you know in recent years under Klopp anyway it's going to be a test I think as you say I can see how we can hurt them and and how we could go and win this game the the negative person inside of me just can't help but feel that is this a game where the table corrects itself a little bit you know we're we're currently top and, you know, Man City are are playing so well and they would go ahead of us if we dropped points in this game. Liverpool, as poor as they've been, are currently ninth and, you know, will be above that. They do bounce back quite well when they've had disappointing results. The thing is, though, there is also an opportunity to basically say, if you beat Liverpool, what, are we nine points ahead of them or ten? We're currently 11, so we'd 11, be 14 right? points. They'd have a game in hand. It's very early, but you could basically go and say you've got a massive job on to come above us now. Mm. Huge. and Oh, yeah, it'd be a massive win. Yeah, it'd be... So, so the Spurs win is big because it's Spurs. But in terms of positioning, getting top four, you win this game and, you know... W- w- a lot of people have said, you know, we need about, what, 21 to 23 games to, to come top four, right? Uh, 20, 23 wins is 69 points. Mm. So you, you pick up a few more points here and there and you're probably going to come fourth. You win this game and you've already won eight and you're 14 points ahead of Spurs, uh, uh, Liverpool. I think we need to rack up as many points as we can between now and the World Cup because... You look at some of Spurs' fixtures in October, the rest of October, you look at United's, I think they've got um, they've got Spurs and Chelsea in their next five, and they've got Everton away, which won't be easier this season, as they're the best defensive team in the league, apparently, this so far this year. I just, I think it's a big opportunity for Arsenal, while we're playing well, while the players are fit, mm. go, and, go and beat as many teams as you can, put as many points on the board as you can, and I'm sure Arteta will be saying that. Yeah, definitely. I think we've got to be aiming to win the game. As you said earlier, best time to probably 
play Liverpool, even though there is that bounce back factor, they're just not right at the moment, you know, and they won't get completely right in one game. They might play with a bit more passion and intensity against us because they know they they can't afford to create that 14-point gap. I mean, they'll know the title's over for them this season, but they'll be now thinking about top four and looking at teams like us and, and not wanting that gap to... To come out, but I think yeah, we need to, particularly because the city game's been postponed and we've played Spurs, Liverpool at home. You know, we've got all these teams to play away from home in the second half of the season. As difficult and as congested as it's going to be up until the World Cup, I think we need to be clear of most, if not all, of our top four rivals, apart from Man City, at the end of this period because. You know, we've got really congested six weeks, but as you said, there are rivals who've got some tough runs and they've got Champions League games, a lot of them, in between these games as well. So I think there's an opportunity. When you look at the fixtures, it's more a case of how many there are rather than particularly difficulty, I think, at the moment. Yeah. You, know, you look at Liverpool at home, you fancy us. Southampton away, you'd fancy us. Nottingham Forest at home, of course, Chelsea away. I mean, they might have warmed up to Potter then, but so far in the first couple of games, Champions League and, and Palace haven't looked amazing. Obviously, it would be a tough game, but we've got quite a good record at Stamford Bridge as well. Wolves away, probably going to have a new manager by then, so we'll see what um, we're facing. But obviously, it's been really poor this season. And then that's it in terms of league yeah. until the World Cup. So suddenly we were... Oh, I missed Leeds away as well. And and Leeds, I watched, had the wasted my life watching Leeds Villa yesterday, <laughs> which was horrendous. I mean, they've had a couple of games where they've looked all right, Leeds, but I know they beat Chelsea there, but I think we've got to be going to that, trying to win it as well. So you look at all those games, um, it's just a case of keeping our key players fit, I think. And we there's no reason we can't win all if not most of them I mean you probably take a point in in the Chelsea game and maybe another one if you circumstances push you there but you know without looking at individual runs of of our top four competitors I think there's a chance to to make even bigger gaps on on a few teams because it's going to be tough in the turn of the year we're going to be going to Spurs we're going to be going to Liverpool we're going to be going to Man City and hosting Man City we're going to be going away to teams like, you know, West Ham and some other tough fixtures. I think on the turn of the year. So I think we have had. I know the average position things have come out and we've played um, harder teams than some of our our rivals apparently. But I think we've had nice home games so far and nice away games. So we've got to just maximise. Um, on that and then in January you've got the opportunity to bolster your squad I mean if we're sat two points behind Man City and well in the top four I'm sure the club will will go and get that midfielder they they want in January and, and push the boat out a bit and really consolidate this season because we'd be foolish not to Yeah I, th- I think it's a big opportunity and I really do fancy us next Sunday I really do like I feel that Liverpool have just drawn 3-3 after going 3-2 up after being 2-0 down. The emotional like exertions there. Then they've got to play Rangers midweek, which is, you know, they're going to have to play a big, strong team there because 
they can't afford to rotate because they lost one of the Champions League games so far. They need to win that. We can rotate heavily on Thursday and kind of emotionally we can kind of see that as a bit more of a a luxury, that game, like a, a little bit less intense. I know we want to get there in terms of the Champions League, but it feels nice to have this kind of game in between these two really emotional ones. And then... I, I ch- again, the matchups just feel so right in this, and I really hope that we can we can make another big statement because, again, as you mentioned, like if we win that, suddenly the rest of that um, the rest of that October feels a little bit kinder. We go to Glimt away, then Leeds away on 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 the Sunday. But I think you've mentioned that we've got a lot of home games or, or kind of near London games as well. We then have. PSV at home, Southampton away, which isn't a long trip, PSV away, uh, Forest at home, Zurich at home, Chelsea away uh, in London, Brighton at home, Wolves away in terms of the UK is basically like the, the furthest we have to go. Um, mm. so I think that London run was yeah, pre-international break and counted Everton, which was postponed and stuff as well. So we would have had if Everton was on, we would have had Everton, Brentford, Spurs, Bodo, Liverpool, all in London. Was that run of five? But yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean... But still, it, it feels like we're... And PSV at home. Was yeah, PSV there, at home. It? Um, I mean, just just quickly away from the fixtures, there's been a lot of noise coming out about um, Saka's contract, Saliba's contract, Martinelli's contract. Just before mm. we go, and there's a bit on Tim Lewis resigning from... Uh, is it Magic? One of the one of the, the law firm he works at to to kind of go full full chairman at Arsenal. Probably, um, I guess on the former is probably more important. Probably more that we could talk about. Are you, are you confident about the trio signing new contracts? I just hope at least one of them gets done soon because I just think that the longer they're playing well. You know they're playing Saliba's song at kickoff and at full time. I'm going to say he's he's becoming a cult he's becoming hero, a bit of a cult it? hero already. Um, Did you see that moment between him and Arteta in the tunnel as well? No. Um, there's a video going around where Saliba's kind of like clapping the fans as the as the song goes off, mm. and uh, I think it's El Nenny who basically like gives him a big high five, like wow, like what a game. Um, and then he's going, he's basically about to go and start and Arteta's basically waiting for him, kind of like giddy in the tunnel. Um, mm-hmm. And he's like jumping up and down to the song and he like gives him a big hug. Um, so I think really, I don't ever think there's been a big issue between Arteta and Saliba. I think maybe what the issue is now is between the club and his representatives like agents are the type of like, I think Saliba's probably gotten over the the loan stuff right I think yeah he's, he's, I think we've seen a difference in his his happiness as well yeah, since absolutely the pre-season where you know <laughs> there was a lot of analysis on he's not smiling in any of the training photos but yeah, yeah there was yeah. a little bit of truth to that I mean every time we saw him Arsenal reeled him out for an interview didn't they in pre-season and you know he was nice but he he clearly but, wasn't but also maybe like he wasn't certain that he was going to be part of the first no, team. No, like, no, th- no. That's what that I mean. It. I think there's definitely been a, a change there because now he, he always he, he celebrates. <laughs> yeah, and he celebrates the all the goals massively. You know, 
he almost does a big celebration to the crowd by himself to yeah, for, yeah. for all the goals and then joins with the team, which is is great to see that passion because as much as football is money driven, there is a bit of that. Um, you know, Arsenal got a lot of history with French players and you know, he he did love the club, was really excited about joining us. So I think I think from the player's perspective, he'll feel happy and will be saying to his agent, I'm happy to extend here. Just um, get me the right deal. I think, yeah, it's in all reality, it's it's obvious that this player probably goes to a Madrid or a PSG at some stage in his career. If we can um, just get one more contract out of him. Yeah, get him on a big contract, get, you know, good, good amount of years, help him take us back to the well, top tier of football and then get a huge amount of money. These, like, Saka, Saliba, these players don't come around too often, right? Like, I think if you're Arsenal, you have to say, we've got, like, three of the best, probably 10 under 23 players in the world. And we have to basically throw the boat and throw the boat at them and, and, and get them to sign. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I, I, I think Martinelli and Saka are basically shoo-ins. I think with Saka, it's basically the price. I know Martinelli's got... He had three years in the summer because there's a club option to extend. So... I think we'll see that get triggered at some point. Um, yeah. I mean, we've talked with, about with how Saliba, Saliba... It's very much like, well, a year left if PSG came in and were like, well, here's 65 million quid and he wants to go back to France, blah, blah, blah. Like, I can... it's tough. I, I mean, Madrid are rumoured they bought Rudiger in, in the summer on a big contract. They've got him, Militao and Alaba and they've still got Nacho there. I think Barcelona are going to sign the Atletico Bilbao centre-back on a free. They've already got like four centre-backs anyway. They've got so many that they're playing Jules Koundé right, right back. I'm not but... worried about him wanting to go, you know, this season for sure, unless we unless we didn't get top four, which is nowhere near done, by the way. I know we're yeah. people talking about title, but we're still so early, but the signs are there that we should get in top four. I think if we don't, we'll have issues with him and other players because... There's clearly individual talent in this team that is going to be wanted by clubs in the Champions League, and it will be a long time we've been out of it. But let's not let's not think about that. But just to say on, you know, Saliba, we talked about he's playing so well and and putting himself in a great negotiating position. Saka, I think, has had really good games in most of the games. So don't take this in a different way. But the fact that he's not been scoring much. Could we take that as a, you know, if we're saying Saliba's playing really well, putting himself in a great position, could this... Because I think last year, Saka was clearly our best player, run away, and everyone was saying, give him what he wants kind of thing. This year, there's, you know, Martinelli playing really well, Jesus playing really well, you've got Saliba playing really well. Does this put Arsenal in a better position for that contract? Because we're no longer so reliant on him signing. Well, I don't think it does so 
so in 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 this sense, right? Phil Foden signed a 220k a week contract. I think Sancho's on about 200 or something like that as well. If you're Bukayo Saka's agent, you're basically looking around and saying, well, this guy's the best young English player in the league. He should be paid like that, right? And so I think he's going to get the 150, 70, 180, near 200k a week contract. My thing is, is it going to be a four or five year contract? Because if it's a four, we're basically back to the table again in two years. And actually, that's just going to be a bit of a nightmare. We know his agents are a difficult. And we've already done that with. once. We've we? already done that once. This, is, this has got to be a five, six year deal. Mm. I, I think... The five other thing plus I'll, one for them all would be nice. Yeah, it would be great. I, I think what the other thing I'll say is like, prem to prem transfers are just now impossible, right? And And I say that quite loosely, but... We couldn't buy Douglas Louise for 25 million when a year left on his deal because Villa don't need the money. And so the teams that can afford Bakayo Saka, even with a year left, are basically named Man City and maybe Chelsea. Mm. So I, I do think, whilst that, like, you know, when Van Persie had a year left on his deal, it was like, well, he can go to Juventus or City or United or there was other teams linked. And, you know, same, same with like, I guess Fabregas was a bit different. It was only really one team for him. Nasri again, it was like, could he go here, 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 here? I just, I, I think it's so much harder to do prem to prem deals now because of the money involved. And, you know, we saw it ourselves with, with Pedro Neto. And I think we got lucky with, you know, Jesus and Zinchenko being on contractual situation. That leads me to the last point, which is if you're Bukayo Saka and Martinelli and you're seeing players of that level get come through the doors, it's not going to make you want to leave, is it? It's... Mm. it's uh, I don't know. It's kind of like being at work and you doing all the work and then suddenly they bring in like this person, this person to help you. And you're like, oh, this makes my job easier. And I'm still getting paid the same amount. It's not yeah. quite the same, but like you must see that level of caliber of player. We already see Jesus is, is a vice captain. We've seen Zinchenko be really, I saw him amping up the crowd at the start of the game. You see how he celebrates the in the huddles. He's quite interactive as well. I really think that like, you'd be an idiot to leave Arsenal right now. And I'm not just saying that. Um, but yeah, also but the definitely... other thing is, just last bit is like, Saka isn't the best player on this team anymore. Yeah. Which probably means that he wants to stay because he wants to play with better players with him. Yeah. I think his, yeah, as I said, his argument last year, negotiating the contract could rightly have been, I'm carrying this team from, you know, you're not even a Europa League team without me. And without his performances last season, we wouldn't have been. Uh, he can't really say that now, as great as I think he is. And I think he can still be our best player when he's on form. Um, and certainly at his age, can still develop into it. I just think now could be a good time to negotiate that that deal with him and get it done. I was sort of hoping that maybe in the international break, we might have got some news on, on one of them. But we'll see. The closer it ticks to the summer with one year left, it does get a bit nervous. But... As you say, I don't, when you look around the league, you know, the Premier League's the place to be. I know there's, you know, some big clubs in Madrid, Barca, PSG, but Premier League's the place to be. The other Premier League clubs, you know, Chelsea, all over the place a bit with their new new owner. Liverpool 
coming to the end of a cycle, perhaps. It's just money stick either, around. Do yeah, don't have the money. Man City, obviously, are, you know, the juggernauts and maybe players will want to go there. But but even, even them, right, you've still got players that want to leave Man City. Like Sterling, Jesus, Zinchenko, and I know they replaced them, blah, blah, blah. Bernardo Silva wanted to leave, right? Everyone kind of knows that. I, I do think there is not that they don't have the Barcelona Madrid aura, and maybe that will change with with Haaland and maybe him creating a legacy there. It will change Still, in time, won't it? But change in time, but right maybe now, not in these careers. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if Martinelli is gagging to go to Man City. I think Grealish is a great thing, and I know he's into the team a bit more and, and playing a bit better now. But the fact that he struggled for form and and starting minutes is probably a good case study for the likes of Saka if they're if they're considering that move. Um because they they're not going to play every week there. And they're not going to be let's face it, have a proper club with proper fans, um, an atmosphere every <laughs> week. <laughs> so But it's the London factor as well is big, isn't it? Like yeah. yeah. I think like I don't know if Bernardo Silva was if Man City were in London, I don't think Bernardo Silva would have as much of an issue of wanting to leave, you know, that kind of vibe. Mm, yeah, maybe. Right, I think we better wrap it up there. We've been um we've been going for just over an hour, but it's been great to to relive that Tottenham game again. And I'm sure everyone who's listening has listened to ten other podcasts, watched the highlights a hundred times, just like myself, because you've got to enjoy moments like this. I mean only one team can win the league and that only happens once a season. So enjoy these days very important we are top of the league currently um go watch highlights of seven out of our eight games so far back and you know digest that brilliant attacking football we're starting to get back the dominance arsenal playing with on the ball it's uh it's back to the arsenal we love that we we lost for so long and you know really exciting times there are more i'll I'll ask you this question right when was the last time you were this excited about arsenal can't really remember. I'd say maybe when Welbeck scored against Leicester at home. I remember that moment because I was at university and my pint flew all over the, the <laughs> bar when that went in and then went back to the same bar as a, as a bit of a good omen thing the following week. And I think we lost to uh, United. It was when yeah. Rashford first came in and then yeah, yeah, it was yeah. all deflated again. Um. Yeah, yeah, probably that moment where I thought we might win the league. But even then, were we playing? You know, I watched that Tottenham game. I, I left for my game at halftime and I just thought, as much as I really want the points, I would hate to be a Tottenham fan, even if they beat us today. Because it's just, I hate watching us when the other team have the ball. You know, when Tottenham had a bit more of the ball, in that last 10 minutes of the first half, I was like, oh, I hate this. I hate that we've lost control. And I hate the games where we do lose control. I can't imagine watching games where you're just parked in your back four and you have you have the ball sort of 20, 30% of the time um, just in transition. It's just, you know, football's got to be about, as I say, only one team can win the league this season. You've got to enjoy the football you're watching. Um, and I, I certainly am pretty much every game 
you know, the United game, a lot of that game I enjoyed as well. There were moments we weren't great, but um, yeah, it's just, it feels like, I guess in recent years, it felt like a bit of a a burden at times to watch Arsenal because no matter how bad we were or how much they were frustrating me, I, I'm a fan and I, I have to watch it. Mm. Um, you know, unfortunately, I'm incredibly tied to this club and at times um, had to put myself through some really bad spells to watch it and, and digest all of that. And now it feels like all oh, Arsenal playing, you know, it's an exciting time, especially when we're playing at home. I get really excited. I'll be really excited on Sunday against mm. Liverpool. Yeah, that's going to be really good. I'm really looking forward to it. And that's nice. And, that, and that's why I'm sort of saying to people, you know, take all of this in because I really don't think there's any chance of the title. So, no, you know, people who who do think that um, just basically unless Haaland breaks his leg and even yeah. they'll probably yeah. still get nearly 90 points. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just enjoy game by game. And, you know, we might not win every single game, but enjoy the football we're trying to play. Enjoy the what we're building and the fact that most of our team is so young as well is such an exciting aspect of this. It's not like we're really reliant on, you know, you said, when did I last feel this way about Arsenal? Maybe prime Sanchez time, but he was what approaching 30 and his contract was running down and he eventually left United on a free, you know, it's not the same as now where you've got two 21 year olds with the world at their feet and Saka and, and Martinelli and even the, the striker through the middle is only 25, 26 and your whole back four is 23 or under, you know, there's, there's so much excitement because when you see the mistakes, when you see the mistakes that Gabriel makes, and even though we talked about, he's got to iron that out. You can say to yourself, these are young players. It's not Socrates going through the back of someone <laughs> uh, again, or, you know, Mustafi wasn't that old, but he, he wasn't, 2021 20, like a Saliba when he made mistakes and um, wasn't playing anywhere near his level so there's just so much excitement and you sort of forward fat plan and and think in your head about what this team can do and unfortunately there's a huge amount of competition in this league you know Man City have an incredible squad spent so much money over the years and add Haaland to that it's just almost impossible to to even bother thinking about competing with that you know, Chelsea and, and Newcastle are going to be spending huge amounts of money over the next couple of years. And let's just hope they don't spend it too wisely. But what I'm trying to say is it's not, it can't all be about winning the league yeah. as much as that's what we really want. We do have to accept that there's billionaires at six different clubs that all really want to win the league as well. And Yeah, w- one of the things that I've been thinking about actually is that Newcastle will make this a top seven within three years. And then, you know, what if someone buys Everton? What if someone yeah, buys Villa exactly. or, or runs Villa better? What if someone West buys Ham. another? Yeah, what if Brentford get like a big cash, a cash injection? West Ham, there's a lot of good property there to be bought. And, you know, I think a lot of people are like, oh, so what? We should only care about ourselves. But like, that's just not how it works. And mm. I'm not saying this to sound really cynical, it might not feel as fun in five years. And I know football fans have been saying that forever and like it was way funner like five years ago, 10 years ago, blah, blah, when it was just us in, in United. Then it became just us, United and Chelsea. Then Liverpool got better. Then Spurs got better. Then City became billionaires. 
one turns to six and six can turn into 10 really quickly. And I think that will have a big impact on just how much we enjoy Arsenal. There might be a really small window here in the next two, three years before Newcastle become superpowers, before Chelsea sort themselves out, that Arsenal can do something. And it's not a winning the league, but it could be a Europa League and a third place finish. It could be an FA Cup or a League Cup and a really strong finish in the league. And that should be celebrated. Could be a Champions League. You know, Man Man City could lose in a cup tie against anyone. And, you know, this is the Premier League's strongest league in the world. If we can make ourselves the second best team, we're there. We're there to compete, at least. Or even a Champions League run. You know, we haven't been in the Champions League for five, six years. Getting to a Champions League semi-final or final would be incredibly enjoyable and, yeah. and moments we need to, you know, it really annoys me, the celebration police stuff. And even, you know, I've even got mates who say Arsenal fans getting ahead of themselves again because, you know, I celebrated the win at the weekend. But it's like only one team can win it <laughs> and win it at the end of the season. You know, you've got to win. You've got to celebrate your wins, especially in, in games like um, on Saturday against Tottenham. But you've got to enjoy each win, you know. Life is short. Enjoy each win. Before you know it, Arteta might be at Barca and Cronkies have sold us to owners who want to make money and we're selling all our players. Yeah, but like, Unfortunately, you know, that's not going to happen. But these things are out of our hands. And as you say, Brentford could come and get an owner. West Ham could get an owner. And we can't control these things. So enjoy what's happening right now. Yeah. And just one last thing I'd say, like I know we've both said the league is never going to happen, right? But you have to put yourself in a position that if if Liverpool aren't going to do it and Spurs, the kind of unsustainable way they play, doesn't feel like they're going to do it, you've got to, be, you've got to put yourself in a position that like, if there's an injury, mm. if there's a crisis of confidence, which there probably won't be, if there's, you know, Pep Guardiola announcing that he's going to leave in the summer, something crazy, you know, crazy things have happened, right? You've got to be there to take advantage of it. Like the, yeah. the reason the Leicester season is so fucking frustrating is because Leicester won the league and Man City had loads of injuries. Um, Spurs were like started the season really badly we just weren't there. Chelsea had the, the season where they came ninth or 10th, was it? Mm. We just weren't there to, I mean, to pick up pieces. barely got any points as good as yeah. the achievement was. Yeah, I mean, this have Arsenal seen, team they have wins the league. two or something like that? Well, I don't know. How many yeah. does it even have? It was I felt like it was only low. high 70s. Yeah, high 70s, low 80s. It was really low. So you've got to put yourself in the position that if there is a slip up, we're there to take take it and look like I'm not getting carried away I know that the chances are that you know we're probably going to have a unprecedented level of goals scored by one particular player for Man City and probably an unprecedented level of assists by another who's probably the best central midfielder to ever play in the league so like I'm not really like getting my hopes up but we do have to like the message must be if they slip up we need to be there that should be the aim to be at least the second best team in the league and I think just be the ones to push them. I mean, we've seen the value of, I think Liverpool and Man City only both got to 90 points plus two seasons because they were pushing each other. If Arteta can install in 
their minds that they're there within reach just to keep that pace and that level of performance and you know professionalism especially with the two former city players you'll probably be desperate and I imagine they both probably do think we could go and beat the title I would love to to go and beat Man City but if we see them as our target this year um, I think that can be the positive thing to to make us go and win games and it's definitely drives drives you on and if we can sort of replace Liverpool in that battle and as much as everyone's saying Liverpool will come back, I think, yeah, especially if we can go and beat them on Sunday, they probably can't be talked about in the top two. They're very much in a top four, top four race from that point, um, unless they're near perfect, which I'm sure they won't be from then. But we'll do more talking on Monday when we've seen the outcome of that game. Um, just looked at the odds because you said, I wonder if we're favourites. It's incredibly even we are very 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 slight favorites on the bookies markets um which yeah must be the first time in a while in Liverpool game albeit we are at home I, I think Liverpool have always been favorites for many years against us in these games so shows the confidence in this team now um let's go out there and do it we've got a game on Thursday at home against Bodo heavily rotated team expected there and then we host Liverpool at 4.30 on Sunday. We'll be back again on Monday next week. It's been a pleasure to be joined by Pet again. You can find him on Twitter at AFC Pet. I've been your host, PB. You can find me on Twitter at Ollie Price Bates. Please follow the Twitter account for this podcast at Fresh Arsenal Pod. And if you've listened all this time and haven't subscribed yet, what are you doing? Please subscribe. And if you've enjoyed it, which I presume you have if you're still listening, then please drop us a rating on what you're listening to um, on Apple Podcasts, etc. We'd love to uh, get some more reviews on the podcast. It'll really help us grow um, and get more listeners and continue to bring you content that you care about and, and listen to on wonderful Monday mornings like this after a brilliant weekend. So thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you on the next one. Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.